chapter 29 first. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 7. We're going to start there. Began a new message series this morning entitled uh, Black and White in a Gray World. And we talked this morning about sin. I was trying to say that if we can't talk about sin, then we lose the ability to talk about forgiveness. And if we somehow uh, no longer call people to recognize that they are sinners, it's not that we're loving them. We're actually making them unredeemable. Because if people won't come and confess their sins and become right with God, then they cannot be forgiven, cannot be saved. It is important that we preserve the ability to use the language of sin. Uh, however, I also said that as a church, we had sort of in some ways abused that language and, and forfeited that right by our own hypocrisy and by our tendency to call things sin just because we don't like them and not because God ever forbids it. Um, and then I called the congregation to a time of confession and response at the end. I had a, a text message waiting for me at lunch, a person who said they were at the altar today and were able to lay sin down at the altar like they've never done in their whole life. So, so, so beautiful. Part of what we want to do in this series, though, is give you the opportunity to talk, talk, talk back, to ask questions and respond. And, and so I want to start some of that tonight. Uh, any of you have anything to say, a testimony, a, a response, a word, uh, based on the, the, the simple word this morning about sin and confession? Anything? Let's move right into Proverbs chapter 29, verse 7 then. As I said, from now, I want us to talk very specifically about um, Things that are right and things that are wrong and try to be bold enough to talk about what is uh, absolutely right and what is absolutely wrong. It gets very difficult. I, I will say that. Very, very difficult. And part of what I really want to do is make sure that we continue to talk about uh, people and not issues. Uh, when you talk about issues, then it's really easy to get abstract and very easy to forget how to love. But when we continue to realize that we're talking about people and the way they suffer and the way they're in bondage, then perhaps it will help us continue to keep the spirit of Christ. Um, I want us to start by simply talking about one of the sins that the Bible condemns most clearly and most often. However, as preachers, as churches, we rarely condemn or preach uh, in, in the same voice that scripture uses. A, a simple verse, Proverbs 29 verse 7 says this, the godly care about the rights of the poor, the wicked don't care at all. The godly care about the rights of the poor. The wicked don't care at all. Go back and read the Old Testament. Read the Old Testament prophets and, and before God would usher judgment on the kingdoms. You'll, you'll notice that almost always their sins had something to do with mistreating the poor, with trampling the rights of, of the poor. It's, it's a very, very common outrage uh, on God's part to, to discipline, to judge a nation, to judge people because they are unkind to the poor. It is not a small or minor biblical theme. It may be one of the most major biblical themes, that God cares about what happens to the poor. So why do you think, if that is such a major theme in God's word, it is such a minor theme in our preaching, and, and I'll, take, I'll, I'll take blame for that, in our preaching and in our lives? Why do you think? What's that, Joe Neal? The, the great majority of people on the planet uh, could not even imagine the lives that we live. Absolutely. The refrigeration, air condition, uh, the luxury of an American supermarket is something that the rest of the world can't even imagine. Uh, so, so we as 
prosperous uh, citizens of the United States basically are, are the richest uh, and most blessed people that have ever walked the planet. Most people are very poor. Yeah. Our young people who were in Haiti this past summer or have been to Puerto Rico or any of you who've done mission work and gotten outside of the United States, you realize very, very quickly how different the rest of the world is. What else? Tripp says it just makes us uncomfortable. Well, why is this so awkward for us? Yeah, because inevitably we realize that we have enough to share and then that might cost us something and most of us don't really want to think about turning loose of anything that we've worked so hard for or at least that we've grown very, very accustomed to having. What else? Uh huh. Right. Yeah. Yeah, one of the areas in which the church as a whole and many of us as individuals, we're just blind to the fact that we really do not consider the poor. Yeah, yeah, Ken. At that time, the President of the United States, uh, everyone he came in contact with was doing well, and if they weren't doing well, he didn't come in contact with them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we have a, a, a culture that allows us, honestly, to never really have to rub elbows with, with, with poor. Absolutely. Yeah. What else? Anything else? Yeah, what would you say, Kyle? Yeah, often our response is, I'll pray for you, we'll pray for them, but, but, but prayer doesn't put food on the table sometimes, especially when scripture tells us to do things very practically. Yeah. It's part of what I love about our work in Indonesia, that we start with clean water, uh, we're trying to help them in the way they most need help, and then offer the water of life, but, but when they have no clean water, simply to begin preaching the gospel seems to be a little tone deaf. Uh, Manisa, was your hand up, or Jack, was it? Yeah, we'll come back to that in a moment, but you're exactly right. Usually, I'm more generous to people I don't know, because if I know them very, very well, then I'm going to understand the, the choices they make that I don't approve of, and then I'll find a way to rationalize why I shouldn't really be expected to help them. Yeah, I, I let myself off the hook very easily. Um, turn out to 1 John chapter 3. Let, let's dig into the preaching passage for tonight. 1 John chapter 3. I'm just asking you to listen with a very tender heart tonight. To what God's word says. Again, it's, it's difficult for us to hear because we are so accustomed to tuning this message out. 
1 John chapter 3, verse 11. 1 John chapter 3, verse 11. This is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Okay, just let that sink in. This is the message you have heard from the beginning. In other words, this is something that has never changed and will never change. This is a fundamental of what God reveals to us. This is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. We must not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil and his brother had been doing what was righteous. So don't be surprised, your brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. If we love our Christian brothers and sisters, it proves that we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. A person who has no love is still dead. Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well, okay, if someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in them? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. I've told you all this story because it's it's. it's pivotal in my life. It may be the moment I really felt called to be a pastor. I was in the car with my grandfather. His name was L.D. Pearson. My grandfather was a great man. I loved him, and, and I imitated him in a lot of ways, which isn't necessarily a good thing. My grandfather was, was a pretty harsh man, but I loved him. I loved him, and he was also a, a, a good man. I was riding with, with my grandfather, L.D., and we were going by our preacher's house. A preacher at the time, his name was Philip Masters. He was old school preacher, Baptist preacher, kind of the Glendale model. Uh, Brother Phil mowed his yard in a suit. Yeah, I mean, he just did. I mean, you think I'm joking. He just did. He felt like preachers should always be preachers like that and should always have that sort of dignity. And, and he dignified the pastorate by always being that man. He always wore a suit. I, I might see him take his coat off, but I don't remember ever seeing him without a white shirt tucked in, uh, navy blue polyester pants. You know, I mean, he was just that, that guy, that, that man. My grandfather was not a church-going man at all, never professed to be a Christian at all. But one day we were driving and we were turning the corner by where Brother Phil lived. The church parsonage is on the corner there in Franklin. Probably Lemon and Orange Streets, if those make a corner, uh, right in there. And uh, as we were driving by, Brother Phil stepped out of his front door barefoot. Okay, that's, <gasps> I mean, you never saw any part of Brother Phil's body, you know, that's not draped in navy blue polyester. I mean, that's just Brother Phil. He stepped out barefoot. And my grandfather said some words that I, I can't repeat in, in church, but, but basically what he, says, he, what he said was, um, that, that fool probably gave his shoes to some idiot in the projects. That's what, my, that's what my grandfather said. That fool probably gave his shoes to some idiot in the projects. 
And I'll just tell you, he didn't say fool or idiot, but you get it, right? I mean, he, he, was, he would use other words. That fool probably gave his shoes to some idiot in a project. And I remember, I, I was a very young child, but I remember distinctly thinking three things. Three things went through my head at, at that moment. The, the first thing was, my preacher has the whitest feet I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I mean, they were, I mean, just white, white, white feet. I mean, just they were white. They, they'd never been outside of socks ever, just white. Uh, I thought that. Those are the whitest feet I've ever seen. I also thought, if, if Philip Masters gave his shoes to somebody in the projects, he is not a fool, but he is a, a great and generous man, and I want to be like him. I remember thinking that. It, it's the moment I probably decided not to go my grandfather's way and to go Brother Phil's way. If he gave his shoes to someone in the projects, then he is a great and generous man, and I want to be like that. And the other thing I thought, which is just a kid's mind, I'd always heard that verse, how beautiful are the feet of those that bring good news. And I thought at that moment, that, that must be what that verse means. It's just a kid's interpretation, but I remember thinking, oh, beautiful feet. Just, just, just beautiful feet. So, so let me ask you this. Explain my grandfather. Because honestly, a lot of people think like he, would, like, he, like he thought. Why would anybody think it foolish to, to give your shoes to somebody in need? Why, why would a person like that be ridiculed? I mean, why would my grandfather somehow say that the, the thing, and again, I loved my grandfather. He, he was a good man. He was, he was just rough. But why would anybody say it's foolish to, to, to give up your shoes if, if somebody needs shoes? Talk to me. Where does that come from? Uh huh. Huh. So, for those who were raised in the Depression, the idea was in families you didn't throw anything away because you had to pass them to the next person. So you couldn't give them away outside the family. Yeah, uh, maybe some of that. I know my grandfather had known extreme poverty of his own. Uh, perhaps there's some of that. Uh, I must keep it because I may need it. Uh, well, what else? Yeah. yeah, we often think like that. If, if, if I gave them my shoes, they'd sell those shoes and they'd buy beer. You know, so I'll just keep my shoes and, and anybody who would do something like that is just a fool. They're not really helping anybody. Yeah, we think like that. What else? Yeah, what do you say, Claude?
Yeah. But, but brain studies of wealthy folks suggest that they literally think differently about the poor and they lose some of that ability to feel compassion. Yeah. It's interesting. Doesn't excuse us, but it's interesting. WB. We live in the richest nation, again, that's ever existed. And so even the poor among us are, are by world historical standards, uh, very wealthy. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and, that, and that is a real issue. It really is. Freddie? Yeah, and, and what you're saying sounds harsh, but honestly, if there's something biblical about that. Paul says if a person doesn't work, then they shouldn't eat, and, and they shouldn't be allowed simply to live off uh, the, the work of others. I mean, that, that's a biblical principle. It, it is. Yeah, Ken. We often simply give what we no longer need or want. Yeah. That's why if we have a, a food drive in March, we'll get 20 cans of canned pumpkin. Where'd all that canned pumpkin come from, people? You bought it in November. You, didn't, you never made the pumpkin pie. So when it's time to clean out your cabinet and give to the poor, and I just got to ask them, what are they going to do with your canned pumpkin? You know, but, but, but we, feel, we feel good about that. I'll tell you, uh, someone who did do exactly what you're talking about, Ken, is, is Eric Walker. Uh, there was a man who came to Franklin Community Church that did not have clothes to wear, and Eric gave most of his closet to this guy, including his best suits, which was funny because Eric had been wearing these suits for years, and all of a sudden, here's this guy on the front row <laughs> wearing Eric's. I mean, yeah, that's Pastor Eric's suit. Uh, Eric gave it all away. He just did, and, uh, and what a great and generous man. Uh, as you know, one day a, a lawyer, uh, a religious lawyer, asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment, and what did Jesus say? Well, it's two, uh, t really two commandments in one. The first is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and then you know, love your neighbor as yourself. And again, he's a lawyer, so he's thinking, and he really wants to understand the, the, the way you dissect the law. So, so the lawyer asks a follow-up question, and what's his question? <laughs> 
well, who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? So Jesus then tells a story, and the story he tells is the story of the the, the Good Samaritan, and it's a story about a man who, uh, who falls among thieves, as you know, and, and he's beaten and left on the side of the road, and then the religious fellows pass by with different rationales of their own, and then finally a Samaritan comes and sees the man in need. He puts him on his donkey, takes him, provides for him, checks him into a hotel, pays his bill, and, 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 and then Jesus says, now, to whom was that man a neighbor? You, you understand? It's interesting, when the lawyer asks the question, who's my neighbor, you get the idea that he's trying to find a loophole. When the greatest commandment is love your neighbor as yourself, then you just got to figure out, okay, who, who's my neighbor, which has the, kind of the, the unspoken part of that question is, who's not my neighbor? And, and so therefore, we're really, what we're really trying to do is find a way to excuse ourselves from really having to be very involved in the lives of very many people. Who, who's my neighbor? Jesus turns that question upside down. He, he doesn't really answer the question so much as who is my neighbor, but Jesus turns it around in such a way where the answer becomes anyone who is in need is your neighbor. Anyone that you even pass along the road who seems to need something that you can offer, that person is your neighbor, and love obligates you to help. That's Jesus' parable. I think it's a fair interpretation. I think the bottom line is the world and the church is just full of bad Samaritans. We tend not to help. When we see someone in need, we tend to look for, for ways to excuse ourselves, to somehow remove ourselves from the responsibility of showing actual love. Then come back to the scripture with me. Uh, what does love have to do with, with salvation? Start in verse 11. This is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Verse 14, if we love our Christian brothers and sisters, it proves that we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. Explain it to me. What does love have to do with my salvation? To the point where John says in this passage, love is the proof. If you really want to know for sure whether or not you've passed from death to life, if you really want to know whether Jesus has saved you, then here's the thing, you look for love. Love's the proof. What's love got to do with it? <laughs> I'm sorry, that's a song. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> and now it's in my head. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. My favorite theologian, Tina Turner, says, what? Yeah, what does love have to do with our salvation? How is it such obvious proof? Because it begins with God's love. Yeah, absolutely, Juliana. For God so loved the world, it begins with God's love. So God's love flows out in what direction? Toward the world, toward everyone. Does God's love play favorites? Does God love some more than others? No, God's love just pours out toward all. So God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever, do I need to preach that sermon again? Whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Salvation begins in the very heart of God, a great heart of love. And then it's demonstrated, God demonstrates, Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his love for us in that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. So it's not just that God's great love has him to send his son. He demonstrates, he proves that love by laying down his life for those of us who are strangers, who are actually his enemies, according to the book of Ephesians. 
So how do you define love? What's love look like when you define love based on God's own example, the example of Christ? What does love do? Love sacrifices for who? For, for whosoever, yeah, absolutely, but especially those who are the stranger, especially those who are the enemy. This is the amazing part. Jesus doesn't just lay down his life for the religious people or for the Jewish people. He lays down his life for those who would spit in his face. You understand? He lays down his life for the, for the very stranger. So verse 16, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So, so what is real love? What's an example of real love? Yeah, someone who sacrifices for others. This is what love looks like. It sacrifices for others. Now, it is easy to say you love somebody that never requires any sort of sacrifice, any sort of patience. But real love is demonstrated. Real love is seen. It's exemplified whenever you see an example of sacrifice. We know what real love is. Because Jesus sacrificed, he gave up his life for us. Okay? Y'all look happy, but, but let's, let's go to 17. So, if anyone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need, but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Okay, well, the lawyer in me wants to say, well, what is enough? Okay, well, what is enough? If anyone has enough money to live well, how much is enough? Awesome question, man. How much is it? Who gets to say how much is enough? The person in the line WB was talking about, the person said, I, I I may have a house and a cell phone, but I, but I don't have what you have, so I don't have enough. See how that works? So where's the line? How much is enough? What's common sense tell you? Enough is enough, you, you know? How much is enough? To live well. Okay, what's well? I want to be a Kardashian. Do you have to be a Kardashian or a Smalling, Marie? What do you think? Marie's not interested, in, and we don't want you to be a Kardashian. Although, I'd put you on that show in a heartbeat. You, would, you are the one they need to meet. Absolutely. Yeah. How much is enough to live well? What's it mean to live well? Ken. Because the, Jesus' standard was sacrifice, you give up yourself for others, but at this point it doesn't seem to even ask for that much. Huh. Ken wants to go even further. Yeah, well, why does it begin with if, if, if you're taken care of, start taking care of others? Exactly, and that's what, that's what John says. How can you be a godly person and not have love? 
So what's it mean, enough to live well? What are we talking about? That those of you who just got back from Haiti, did those people live well? I'm looking at you, Matt. Uh, there was a lot of poverty where you were, correct? Uh, were, they, were they happy? If we moved one of us down there, we'd be very unhappy. Yeah. Why would we be so unhappy? You walk in Barnes and Noble bookstore in Bowling Green and there's a whole section on self-improvement, how to be happy. You couldn't even sell a book like that in Haiti. A book on how to be happy? How is it that we who have so much are so unhappy, so miserable? We can't tell you how much would be enough. Because for us, enough is never enough. It's never enough. We can't even define enough to live well when the rest of the world would have no problem. Enough to live well means what? Food, shelter, basic needs. You just, need basic, you just need basic needs to be happy. Anything beyond basic needs is not going to add to your happiness. And, and honestly, scientific studies back that up. If you don't have basic needs, there is a, a lot of reason for you to, to be unhappy. But once you have basic needs, clothes on your back, just basic clothes, food, shelter, nothing else adds to happiness. If you can't be happy with that, you can't be happy. But it's the sickness of, of our culture. We can no longer even define what would be enough because we've never seen enough yet. And we have so much. We have so much. If, if, if someone has enough money to live well and sees, and sees. Some of you already pointed out, this is, this is what we do so well. We manage never to see them. We just don't see them. And honestly, some of you right now, if, if, if I ask you to stop and think about a poor person in your life, you can't think of anybody. Now, part of it is, of course, the way we structure our society. We, we have closed neighborhoods, really. We have certain ways of making sure that the people who live around you sort of are more or less at your same level. If, if, if somebody moves, moves a, a, a mobile home into certain neighborhoods, people just freak out. There goes the neighborhood because they don't want to live that close to a lower standard of living. I mean, you know this, right? I'm not telling you something you don't know. That's our society. Don't ask me to rub shoulders with the wrong kind of people. And so we manage to sort of go through our lives in these bubbles. We don't really have to know any poor people. And if we get behind one in the line at Walmart, we're just sort of fascinated by the whole, you know, food stamp process or, or whatever. So many of us live so far away from that. We don't understand, but we think we know all about it. I mean, we think we have PhDs in poverty and how people ought to live, but we don't know people. We're not involved in their lives very closely. We manage not to see at all. I knew a couple that got a divorce, and they had been married for several years, and the woman said that she had been miserable for years and, and couldn't be expected to live in that marriage anymore. You know what the man said? So I, th I thought everything was fine. I, th I thought everything was fine. Okay, She's miserable, and he's oblivious. And that is sort of the way of the church in the world these days, that the world suffers. The world is miserable, and we are oblivious. We just don't see. 
and we are somewhat experts at learning not to see. Now, I'm going to get political for just a minute, and I never do this, but y'all know I'm, I, I'm not a very political person. But, but one night we did a, allow a, a person who represented a certain political party to come into our church and give a presentation and pass out voter guides. And I said to him that, that that would be permissible. I just wanted to make sure that the voter guide represented good biblical principles, and he assured me that they did. This voter guide has good biblical principles. I was like, wonderful. So I sat through the entire presentation. I read the voter guide cover to cover. Y'all know I do that, right? I mean, I read it cover to cover. And at the end of the night, I, I, I just said, sir, and I didn't do it publicly. I did it to him privately, but I just said, sir, I agree that all of the principles here in your voter guide are biblical, but there are very important biblical moral issues that aren't represented on your pamphlet. Where is a, a, a concern for the poor? I want to see a politician's record on on how he stands and and, and treats the poor. Where is that? He said, well, we don't tend to measure that. Well, how can someone who has money enough to live well and see a brother or sister in need but show no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? And how can we say that we're voting our principles? How can we say that we're voting biblical morality if we don't vote with a certain concern for how the poor are going to be treated by our government? I mean, you understand, we have this amazing ability to just close our eyes and act like the poor don't matter, but they matter to God. They matter to God, and they must matter to us. How can someone who has enough money to live well, and that is every single one of us, you live well. There are people that you know who live better. Forget about them. Just forget about them. Let them live. Let the Kardashians just be the Kardashians. Just let them go. Forget about them. You live well. You live very well. And if you have enough to live well, and you see somebody who has less, just less than you, it doesn't mean they don't have something, it just means they have less than you. They might have a need for something that you have enough of. Then the Bible says, how in the world, how in the world can you walk past that person? How can you not see them? How can you not share with them? And you say that God's love is in you. How can you not see? How can you not share? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let's show the truth by our actions. Ken actually put his, put his finger right, right on it. The, the standard here is you know, laying down your life. Jesus shows us what real love is because he gave up his life. If I asked how many of you would die for somebody else, man, you, oh, I'd die. I'd die, for, I'd die for my neighbor. I mean, some of you really would. You'd die for somebody. Death is not the worst thing you can imagine. You'd go to heaven. You'd be fine. Death is not what bothers you. It's being inconvenienced. That's not a joke. I'm not joking. You'd die for somebody, but please don't ask one of us to go out of our way for someone. Just kill me. But don't ask me to share anything. Don't ask me to give up something. Don't ask me to slow down and pay attention to the needs of people and respond. I mean, just kill me. I'll die. I'll die for him, but don't ask me to be inconvenienced. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
This for us is the line we won't cross. And Kim puts his finger on that. That's all that the scripture really asks us to do. Show by your actions that you really love people. And that really comes down to, to sort of living a life where you forget about yourself. So, so your schedule and getting things done and, and accumulating more for yourself, it becomes less important than actually paying attention, seeing the needs of people around you. Now, they may have certain things, but you may have more. You may have enough. And the Bible gives you this certain obligation to look back at people who have less and you help them. How can you do anything else? Let's not merely say we love each other. Let's show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth. So we'll be confident when we stand before God. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth. If you want to talk about moral black and white, if you want to talk about objective right and wrong, let's start right here. It is wrong to have enough to live well and see somebody who is in need and not help them. That is wrong. And in biblical standards, it is one of the most serious sins that God ever judges. And he judges it severely. And if that is true, you and I should be judged very severely. We live well. We don't share enough. So very practically, as, as we close, what can we do? People like you and me, what kind of changes could we make? What could we actually do? We want to show by our actions that we belong to the truth. What can we do? I mean, what do I have to do? Maybe Brother Phil saw somebody who needed shoes. I, 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 don't, I don't know anybody who needs shoes. Freddie, was your hand up? Was your hand up? It was JC, okay, JC. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot easier to care for each other in smaller groups. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah.
When you were on the road as a trucker, you, you would ask God to, to help you stop at the right places, be at the right place to help somebody. Yeah. 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 And, and, and it really is obedience. And again, God is very concerned with the poor. And that's why I think a lot of us say, you know, I just don't ever hear God's voice. God never speaks to me. But do you not sometimes find yourself out in the world at work or, or at the grocery, wherever you are, and you see somebody and a voice says, you need to help them. And you ignore that voice. And most of us do it all the time. We ignore that voice. That is the Holy Spirit. You think the devil would tell you to help people? You understand? But, but we often don't listen to God's voice. We don't want to hear what God says. It's so much easier to say, I just don't hear. But, but if you would say, God, open my eyes. Starting tomorrow, let me see the people in need around me. You'll see them. God wants you to see them, and you will see them. Uh, you just got to want to see. Jack. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes the Lord is not going to move, and it may be for somebody else to help. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There are a lot of groups in our community who really do good work, good help. Yeah, Juliana. Right. Y'all lost everything on Christmas Day in a house fire. It's, it's tremendous to be able to help. It's also uh, amazing to be on the other side of that and receive so much help. Yeah. Somebody else, Willie?
It is hard. I think this sermon's important, and I, and I agree with you 100%. However, Willie Ray, for some of us, hearing you talk, uh, that discernment becomes a really good excuse to never help anybody. And if you are that person who, who never, ever sees anybody worthy of your help, there's something very spiritually wrong with you. And honestly, I don't know. I'm not a very—maybe some of you are great discerners. I'm not, man. I am such a doofus. I am just gullible. And, and I probably, I, I will probably pick up an axe murderer and die on Three Springs Road. And y'all can all just say, hey, idiot, that fool. Um, but honestly, I, I would rather make mistakes on the side of helping people than make mistakes on the side of not helping people. Because to have enough to live well and to see someone in need and not to help, you understand? You can't beat God-given. Absolutely, yeah.
Yeah. We give to those who can give back to us. Yeah. Honestly, and remember this, um, the main thing that people need is love. It's friendship. And often we'll give money not as a way of loving them, but as a way of keeping distance between us. I'll, I'll buy you food so I can drive off and feel like I did, I did you well. Honestly, they typically need friends more than they need your help. And that's the one thing that we hesitate to do. Really get involved in their lives and show them the love of Christ as friends. That's what we're truly called to do, and that's what many of us simply refuse to do. Um, I'd like to just say a good word for Marla Hardcastle, not that I want to praise her, but what she does with Emily's Closet and the reputation that uh, brings to our church is pretty amazing. Uh, Marla has made a huge difference in the lives of young girls who need clothes. I know you... I know you don't want our applause, Marla, but that's just a really good example of somebody like us who said, I think there's something I can do, and she's doing it very, very well. And, and there are such a number of young girls who come through every single week. Uh, Marla's always, always at work over there, and there's so many people we're helping, and most of us don't even know about it. But it's a tremendous ministry that's of our church, but y'all know it's, it's mostly Marla and the volunteers who, who help her. Uh, so help Marla. If you don't know anything else to do, help Marla. Bring, bring women's girls' clothes to her. Uh, she is going to do good work, and she's going to help a lot of people, and maybe she needs your help. Uh, so consider Emily's Closet as a, as a very, very local ministry that, that makes a big difference every single day. And uh, Marla, you make the rest of us have a good reputation that we don't deserve because of your sacrifice. Uh, th thank you for that. Marla's not the only one. Um, but I, I really wanted to, to say that uh, tonight. Uh, anything else? Practically, uh, I just encourage you to uh, ask God to open your eyes so that you see people in need first. And then whenever you felt, feel led to give, just give. Turn off that part of your brain that's always judging people and just give. Just, just give. Jesus says give to everyone who asks. Uh, it doesn't mean we don't have discernment. I'm not saying that. But again, Often, just give. It, 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 you're, you won't even miss it, some of us. You just won't even miss what you give. Just give. Just give. Just be generous. Find a way in your heart to show that you belong to the truth by your, by your actions. Uh, actually, if, if you're able to do it, set aside money every month just to give and carry it on your person. And then if somebody asks, you, you, you know that you've got it to give. Just give. Say, I'm going to give $20 a month. To somebody in need, God, just show me who it is. And I promise you, every single month, there'll be somebody in your path who needs 20 bucks, and you've got it. And it's a wonderful way to live. Just live your life, structure your life in such a way where you're always ready to do good. And then ask God to give you those opportunities. It, it really is uh, the life of Christ and the life of love. Look for opportunities to help and stop looking for excuses not to help. Um, to help those in need is one of the most important values that Scripture gives us. Not to help is sin. Let's pray together. Lord, there are definitely those who would take advantage of others. There are those who won't work. There are those who aren't wise. There are those who are too lazy to scratch, as Winnie Mae Hopper used to say. But God, we are those who have known the love and generosity of Christ. Though we were sinners, Lord Jesus, you sacrificed your life for us. So Lord, help us to be willing to sacrifice for the sake of others. 
Help us, Lord, to know when enough is enough. Recognize, Lord, that we have plenty to share. Lord, I pray that you would just open our eyes so that tomorrow and the next day and all the days to come, we will have eyes to see people in need. Most people don't ask, Lord, and some have just figured that nobody's willing to help, Lord, but we want to make a difference. We want to be salt and light in the world. So open our eyes, Lord, tomorrow. Help us to see people in need and help us to find in our hearts and find in our hands something to give. And then, Lord Jesus, make us to be cheerful givers. Pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus who gave all. Amen. God bless you so much. Hey, next.